We're continuing our reading of the Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita, and we're taking up at chapter number five, and the text today will be twenty-one. Taki tar saru prakash gopa gopi shange jar jahar krishnara bilash premanetre with the eyes of love of godhead dake one sees tar its swaru prakash manifestation of identity gopa cowherd boys gopi shange with the cowherd damsels jaha where Krishna Rabilash, the pastimes of Lord Krishna. But with the eyes of love of Godhead, one can see its real identity. But with the eyes of love of Godhead, one can see its real identity as the place where Lord Krishna performs his pastimes with the cowherd boys and cowherd girls. Text 22. Chintamani prakoda sadma sukalpa riksha lakshavritesha surabira bipalayantam lakshmi sahasra shatasamrama sevyamanam govindamadi purusham damaham bhajami. Chintamani, touchstone, prakara, groups made of, sadmasu, in abodes, kalpa riksha, of desire trees. Lakha, by millions. Laksha, by millions. Avriteshu, surrounded. Surabhi, surabhi cows. Abhipalayantam, tending. Lakshmi, of goddesses of fortune. Sahasra, of thousands. Shatta, by hundreds. Sambrama, with great respect. Sevyamanam, being served. Govindam, Govinda. Adi Purusham, the original person, Tam, him, aham, I, Bajami, worship. Translation, I worship Govinda, the primeval Lord, the first progenitor, who is tending the cows, yielding all desires in abodes built with spiritual gems and surrounded by millions of purpose trees. He is always served with great reverence and affection by hundreds and thousands of goddesses of fortune. This is a verse from the Brahma Samhita 5.29. This description of the abode of Krishna gives us definite information of the transcendental place where not only is life eternal, blissful, and full of knowledge, but there are ample vegetables, milk, jewels, and beautiful homes and gardens tended by lovely damsels who are all goddesses of fortune. Krishna is the topmost. Krishna Loka is the topmost planet in the spiritual sky, and below it are innumerable spheres, a description of which can be found in Srimad Bhagavatam. In the beginning of Lord Brahma's self realization, he was shown a transcendental vision of the Vaikuntha spheres by the grace of Narayan. Later, by the grace of Krishna, he was shown a transcendental vision of Krishna Loka. 
This transcendental vision is like the reception of television from the moon via a mechanical system for receiving modulated waves, but it is achieved by penance and meditation within oneself. Srimad Bhagavatam, second canto, states that in Vaikuntha Loka, the material modes in nature represented by the qualities of goodness, passion, and ignorance have no influence. In the material world, the highest qualitative manifestation is goodness, which is characterized by truthfulness, mental equilibrium, cleanliness, control of the senses, simplicity, essential knowledge, faith in God, scientific knowledge, and so on. Nevertheless, all these qualities are mixed with passion and imperfection. But the qualities in Vaikuntha are a manifestation of God's internal potency, and therefore they are purely spiritual and transcendental, with no trace of material infection. No material planet, even Satyaloka, is comparable in quality to the spiritual planets, where the five inherent qualities of the material world namely ignorance, misery, egoism, anger, and envy, are completely absent. In the material world, everything is a creation. Anything we can think of within our experience, including even our bodies and minds, are created, was created. This process of creation began with the life of Brahma, and the creative principle is prevalent all over the material universe because of the quality of passion. But since the quality of passion is conspicuous by its absence in the Vaikuntha planets, nothing there is created. Everything there is eternally existent. And because there is no mode of ignorance, there is also no question of annihilation or destruction. In the material world, one may try to make everything permanent by developing the above-mentioned qualities of goodness because the goodness in the material world is mixed with passion and ignorance. Nothing here can exist permanently, despite all the good plans of the best scientific brains. Therefore, in the material world, we have no experience of eternity, bliss, and fullness of knowledge. But in the spiritual world, because of the complete absence of the qualitative modes, everything is eternal, blissful, and cognizant. Everything can speak. Everything can move, everything can hear, and everything can see in fully blessed existence for eternity. The situation being so, naturally, space and time, in the forms of past, present, and future, have no influence there. In the spiritual sky, there is no change because time has no influence. Consequently, the influence of Maya, the total energy, external energy, which induces us to become more and more materialistic and forget our relationship with God, is also absent there. As spiritual sparks of the beams emanating from the transcendental body of the Lord, we are permanently related with Him and equal to Him in quality. The material energy is a covering of the spiritual spark, but in the absence of that material covering, the living beings in Vaikuntha Loka are never forgetful of their identities. They are eternally cognizant of their relationship with God in their constitutional position of rendering 
transcendental loving service to the Lord. Because they constantly engage in the transcendental service of the Lord, it is natural to conclude that their senses are also transcendental, for one cannot serve the Lord with material senses. The inhabitants of Vaikuntaloka do not possess material senses with which to lord it over material nature. Persons with a poor fund of knowledge conclude that the, a place void of material qualities must be some sort of formless nothing, nothingness. Persons with a poor fund of knowledge conclude that a place void of material qualities must be some sort of formless nothingness. In reality, however, there are qualities in the spiritual world, but they are different from the material qualities because everything there is eternal, unlimited, and pure. The atmosphere there is self-illuminating, and thus there is no need of a sun, a moon, fire, electricity, and so on. One who can reach that abode does not come back to the material world with a material body. There is no difference between atheists and the faithful in the Vaikuntha planets, because all who settle there are freed from the material qualities, and the suras and asuras become equally obedient, loving servitors of the Lord. The residents of Vaikuntha have brilliantly black complexions, much more fascinating and attractive than the dull white and black complexions found in the material world. Their bodies, being spiritual, have no equals in the material world. The beauty of a bright cloud, when lightning flashes on it, merely hints at their beauty. Generally, the inhabitants of Vaikuntha dress in yellow clothing. Their bodies are delicate and attractively built, and their eyes are like the petals of lotus flowers. Like Lord Vishnu, the residents of Vaikuntha have four hands decorated with a conch shell, wheel, club, and lotus flower. Their chests are beautifully broad and fully decorated with necklaces of a brilliant diamond-like metal surrounded by costly jewels never to be found in the material world. The residents of Vaikuntha are always powerful and effulgent. Some of them have complexions like red coral, cat's eyes, and lotus flowers and each of them has earrings of costly jewels. On their heads, they wear flowery crowns resembling garlands. In the Vaikuntas, there are airplanes, but they make no tumultuous sounds. Material airplanes are not at all safe. They can fall down and crash at any time, for matter is imperfect in every respect. In the spiritual sky, however, the airplanes are also spiritual and they are spiritually brilliant and bright. These airplanes do not fly business executives, politicians, or planning commissions as passengers, nor do they carry cargo or postal bags, for these are all unknown there. These planes are for pleasure trips only, and the residents of Vaikuntha fly in them with their heavenly, beautiful, fairy-like consorts. Therefore, these Airplanes full of residents of Vaikuntha, both male and female, increase the beauty of the spiritual sky. We cannot imagine how beautiful they are, but their beauty may be compared to the clouds in the sky, accompanied by silver branches of electric lightning. 
The spiritual sky of Vaikuntha Loka is always decorated in this way. The full opulence of the internal potency of Godhead is always resplendent in Vaikuntha Loka, where goddesses of fortune are ever increasingly attached to serving the lotus feet of the personality of Godhead. These goddesses of fortune, accompanied by their friends, always create a festive atmosphere of transcendental mirth. Always singing the glories of the Lord, they are not silent even for a moment. There are unlimited Vaikuntha planets in the spiritual sky, and the ratio of these planets to the material planets in the material sky is three to one. Thus, the poor materialist is busy making political adjustments on a planet that is most insignificant in God's creation. To say nothing of this planet Earth, the whole universe with innumerable planets throughout the galaxies is, in, is comparable to a single mustard seed and a bag full of mustard seeds. But the poor materialist makes plans to live comfortably here and thus wastes his valuable human energy in something that is doomed to frustration. Instead of wasting his time with business speculations, he should seek the life of plain living and high spiritual thinking and thus save himself from perpetual materialistic unrest. Even if a materialist wants to enjoy developed material facilities, he can transfer himself to planets where he can experience material pleasures much more advanced than those available on Earth. The best plan is to prepare oneself to return to the spiritual sky after leaving the body. However, if one is intent on enjoying material facilities, one can transfer himself to other planets in, this, in the material sky by utilizing yogic powers. The playful spaceships of the astronauts are but childish entertainments and are of no use for this purpose. The Ashtanga yoga system is a materialist art of controlling air by transferring it from the stomach to the navel, from the navel to the heart, from the heart to the collarbone, from there to the eyeballs, from there to the cerebellum, and from there to any desired planet. The velocities of air and light are taken into consideration by the material scientist, but he has no information of the velocity of the mind and intelligence. We have some limited experience of the velocity of the mind because in a moment, we can transfer our minds to places hundreds of thousands of miles away. Intelligence is even finer. Finer than intelligence is the soul, which is not matter like mind and intelligence, but is spirit or antimatter. The soul is hundreds of thousands of times finer and more powerful than intelligence. We can thus only imagine the velocity of the soul in its traveling from one planet to another. Needless to say, the soul travels by its own strength and not with the help of any kind of material vehicle. The bestial civilization of eating, sleeping, fearing, and sense gratification has misled human man, excuse me, has misled modern man into forgetting how powerful a soul he has. As we have already described, the soul is a spiritual spark, many, many times more illuminating, dazzling, and powerful than the sun, moon, or electricity. Human life is spoiled when man does not realize his 
real identity with the soul. Lord Chaitanya appeared with Lord Nityananda to save man from this type of misleading civilization. Srimad Bhagavatam also describes how yogis can travel to all the planets in the universe. When the vital force is lifted to the cerebellum, there's every chance that this force will burst out from the eyes, nose, ears, etc. As these are places that are known as the seventh orbit of the vital force. But the yogis can block these holes by complete suspension of air. The yogi then concentrates the vital force in the middle position, that is between the eyebrows. At this position, the yogi can think of the planet to which he wants to go after leaving the body. He can then decide whether he wants to go to the abode of Krishna in the transcendental Vaikundas, from which he will not be required to descend into the material world, or to travel to higher planets in the material universe. The perfect yogi is at liberty to do either. For the perfect yogi, who has attained success in the method of leaving his body in perfect consciousness, transferring from one planet to another is as easy as an ordinary man's walking to the grocery store. As already discussed, the material body is just a covering of the spiritual soul. Mind and intelligence are the undercoverings, and the gross body of earth, water, air, and so on is the overcoating of the soul. As such, any advanced soul who has realized himself by the yogic process, who knows the relationship between matter and spirit, can leave the gross dress of the soul in perfect order and as he desires. By the grace of God, we have complete freedom. Because the Lord is kind to us, we can live anywhere, either in the spiritual sky or in the material sky, upon whichever planet we desire. However, misuse of this freedom causes one to fall down into the material world and suffer the threefold miseries of conditioned life. The living of a miserable life in the material world by dint of the soul's choice is nicely illustrated by Milton in Paradise Lost. Similarly, by choice, the soul can regain paradise and return home back to Godhead. At the critical time of death, one can place the vital force between the two eyebrows and decide where he wants to go. If he is reluctant to maintain any connection with the material world, he can, in less than a second, reach the transcendental abode of Vaikuntha and appear there completely in his spiritual body, which will be suitable for him in the spiritual atmosphere. He has simply to desire to leave the material world both in finer and in grosser forms, and then move the vital force to the topmost part of the skull and leave the body from the hole in the skull called the Brahmarindra. This is as easy, this is easy for one perfect in the practice of yoga. Of course, man is endowed with free will, and as such, if he does not want to free himself from the material world, he may enjoy the life of Brahmapada, occupation of the post of Brahma, and visit Sitaloka, the planets of materially perfect beings who have full capacities to control gravity, space, and time. To visit these higher planets in the material universe, one need not give up his mind and intelligence. 
finer matter, but need only give up grosser matter, the material body. Each and every planet has its particular atmosphere, and if one wants to travel to any particular planet within the material universe, one has to adapt his material body to the climatic condition of that planet. For instance, if one wants to go from India to Europe, where the climatic condition is different, one has to change his body, one has to change his dress accordingly. Similarly, a complete change of body is necessary if one wants to go to the transcendental planets of Aikudra. However, if one wants to go to the higher material planets, he can keep his finer dress of mind, intelligence, and ego, but has to leave his gross body, but has to leave his gross dress, body, made of earth, water, fire, etc. When one goes to a transcendental planet, it is necessary to change both the finer and gross bodies, for one has to reach the spiritual sky completely in a spiritual form. This change of dress will take place automatically at the time of death, if one so desires. The Bhagavad Gita confirms that one will attain his next material body according to his desires at the time he leaves his body. The desire of the mind carries the soul to a suitable atmosphere as the wind carries aromas from one place to another. Unfortunately, those who are not yogis but gross materialists who throughout their lives indulge in sense gratification are puzzled by the disarrangement of the bodily and mental condition at the time of death. Such gross sensualists encumbered by the main ideas, desires, and associations of the lives they have led desire something against their interest and thus foolishly take on new bodies that perpetuate their material miseries. Systematic training of the mind and intelligence is therefore needed so that at the time of death one may consciously desire a suitable body either on this planet or another material planet or even a transcendental planet. A civilization that does not consider the progressive advancement of the immortal soul merely fosters a bestial life of ignorance. It is foolish to think that every soul that passes away goes to the same place. Either the soul goes to a place he desires at the time of death, or upon leaving his body he is forced to accept the position according to his acts in his previous life. The difference between the materialist and the yogi is that a materialist cannot determine his next body, whereas a yogi can consciously attain a suitable body for enjoyment in the higher planets. Throughout his life, the gross materialist who is constantly after sense gratification spends all day earning his livelihood to maintain his family, and at night he wastes his energy in sex enjoyment, or else goes to sleep thinking about all he has done in the daytime. That is the momentous life of the materialist. That is the monotonous life of the materialist. Although differently graded as businessmen, lawyers, politicians, professors, judges, coolies, pickpockets, laborers, and so on, materialists all simply engage in eating, sleeping, fearing, and sense gratification, 
and thus spoil their valuable lives pursuing luxury and neglecting to perfect their lives through spiritual realization. Yogis, however, try to perfect their lives and therefore the Bhagavad Gita enjoins that everyone should become a yogi. Yoga is the system for linking the soul to the service of the Lord. Only under superior guidance can one practice such yoga in this, in his life without changing his social position. As already described, a yogi can go anywhere he desires without mechanical help, for a yogi can place his mind and intelligence within the air circulating inside his body. And by practicing the art of breath control, he can mix that air with the air that blows all over the universe outside his body. With the help of this universal air, a yogi can travel to any planet and get a body suitable for its atmosphere. We can understand this process by comparing it to the electronic transmission of radio messages. With radio transmitters, sound waves produced at a certain station can travel all over the earth in seconds. But sound is produced from the ethereal sky. And as already explained, subtler than the ethereal sky is the mind, and finer than the mind is the intelligence. Spirit is still finer than the intelligence, and by nature it is completely different from matter. Thus we can just imagine how quickly the spirit soul can travel through the universal atmosphere. To come to the stage of manipulating finer elements like mind, intelligence, and spirit, one needs appropriate training, an appropriate mode of life, and appropriate association. Such training depends upon sincere prayers, devotional service, achievement of success and mystic perfection, and the successful merging of oneself in the activities of the soul and supersoul. A gross materialist, whether he be an empiric philosopher, a scientist, a psychologist, or whatever, cannot attain such success through blunt efforts and word jugglery. Materialists who perform yagyas or great sacrifices are comparatively better than grosser materialists who do not know anything beyond laboratories and test tubes. The advanced materialists who perform such sacrifices can reach the planet called Vaishvanara, a fiery planet similar to the sun. On this planet, which is situated on the way to Brahmaloka, the topmost planet in the universe, such an advanced materialist can free himself from all traces of vice and its effects. When such a materialist is purified, he can rise to the orbit of the pole star, of the pole star, Dhruvaloka. Within this orbit, which is called Shishukmar Chakra, are situated the Aditya Lokas and the Vaikuntha planet within this universe. A purified materialist who has performed many sacrifices, undergone severe penances, and given the major portion of his wealth in charity can reach such planets as Druvaloka. And if he becomes still more qualified there, he can penetrate still higher orbits and pass through the navel of the universe to reach the planet Maharloka, where sages like Brigumuni live. In Maharloka, one can live even to the time of the partial annihilation of the universe. This annihilation begins when Anantadev, 
from the lowest position in the universe produces a great blazing fire. The heat of this fire reaches even Maharloka, and then the residents of Maharloka travel to Brahmaloka, which exists for twice the duration of Paratha time. In Brahmaloka, there are none. There is an unlimited number of airplanes that are controlled not by yantra machine, but by mantra, psychic action. Because of the existence of the mind and intelligence on Brahmaloka, its residents have feelings of happiness and distress. But there is no cause of lamentation, old age, death, fear, or distress. They feel sympathy, however, for the suffering living beings who are consumed in the fire of annihilation. The residents of Pramaloka do not have gross mature bodies to change at death, but they transform their subtle bodies into spiritual bodies and thus enter the spiritual sky. The residents of Pramaloka can attain perfection in three different ways. Virtuous persons who reach Pramaloka by dint of their pious work become masters of various planets after the resurrection of Brahma. Those who have worshipped Garbhadakshai Vishnu are liberated with Brahma, and those who are pure devotees of the personality of Godhead at once push through the covering of the universe and to enter the spiritual sky. The numberless universes exist together in foam-like clusters, and so only some of them are surrounded by the water of the causal ocean. When agitated by the glance of Karnadakshayi Vishnu, material nature produces the total elements, which are eight in number, and which gradually evolve from finer to gross. A part of ego is the sky, a part of which is air, a part of which is fire, a part of which is water, a part of which is earth. Thus, when the universe inflates, to an area of four billion miles in diameter. A yogi who desires gradual liberation must penetrate all the different coverings of the universe, including subtle covering of the three qualitative modes of material nature. One who does this never has to return to this mortal world. According to Shukadev Goswami, the above description of the material and spiritual skies is neither imaginary nor utopian. The actual facts are recorded in the Vedic hymns, and Lord Vasudev disclosed them to Lord Brahma when Brahma satisfied him. One can achieve the perfection of life only when he has a definite idea of Vaikuntha and the Supreme Godhead. One should always think about and describe the Supreme Personality of Godhead, for this is recommended in both the Bhagavad Gita and the Bhagavata Purana, which are two authorized commentaries upon the Vedas. Lord Chaitanya has made all these subject matters easy for the fallen people of this age to accept, and Sri Chaitanya Charitamrita has therefore presented them for the easy understanding of all concerned. One of the most amazing purports in Srila Prabhupada's writings, taking us through the entire philosophy of Krishna consciousness just in a few pages. And at the end of the purport, Prabhupada mentions how without knowing about the Vaikuntha worlds, 
and it's impossible to go there, which makes sense. As wherever we point our attention, we tend to go. Also noteworthy is that Krishna has given us freedom. And in the Gita, Krishna then says, Yanti Deva Vrta Devan, Pitran Yanti Pratir Vrta, Bhutani Yanti Bhuteja, Yanti Mam Yajinopi Mam. That you can go wherever you wish. And then he teaches the, the science of how it works. If I am unacquainted with the way the world works, and I'm innocent, I'm still, I heard Prabhupada say yesterday, a rascal. He said the innocence, because they don't know that if you drive on the wrong side of the road that you'll be apprehended, still, he said, they're rascals because they don't know. So it's important for the living entity whose stature is that of such power and influence that it his energy is greater, millions of times greater than the sun, and who is an eternal servitor of Krishna. To become associated with matter and loiter in the lower energies, it's not very becoming. Just as when Arjuna expressed a mentality that was beneath what Krishna said was an Aryan, or a progressive human being. He said that you have this weakness of heart, He accused him of, of being a non-Aryan. He said it's not very becoming, it doesn't look very good. And then he gave him an instant infusion of wisdom saying to Arjuna, but don't forget, you're not the body. Don't profane yourself by associating with matter, identifying yourself as the body. And then he goes on to explain how the Vedas mainly deal with the three modes of material nature, but there's a purpose behind them. Yavan arta udapane samplutodake and if you become acquainted with the with the purpose of the Vedas, then you can take full advantage of them. Prabhupada says that the, the Bhagavad Gita is a perfect summary of, of all of the Vedic wisdom. Krishna summarized it there. And he's given the essence at the end, Sarvadarman Purityaja, just surrender unto me. But people in general don't know any of this. It comes as a revelation. It sounds fantastical. Nonetheless, their lives go on in monotony, going on with the same kind of activities that animals are habituated to, eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. And despite the fact that the only thing that distinguishes a human from an animal sense of connection with God and some kind of practice in one's life. So we're fortunate to be in a line of teachers coming from Krishna through which we can learn the exact philosophy and practice. When the nectar of devotion, Rupa Goswami describes how there are various phases of the practice. And in the beginning, one has to 
adhere to rules and regulations, vaidhi bhakti, because my senses are addicted to matter and they're in, embedded in matter. And my mind also is connected to the senses. I have to have a system through which I can rise above the mind and also develop a higher taste. So it's absolutely necessary for a human being to take to the practices that are regulated by the Shastra and by the Guru. Guru represents the Shastra and faith in the beginning of the practice of devotional service means faith in Guru and Shastra. That yes, the Shastra is correct. It is guiding me correctly. It comes from a non-material source and that the Guru is properly representing the Shastra to me. And then one can begin to mold one's life around this direction given through Guru and Shastra. And as an example, begin to follow regulations like the four regulatory principles. If one follows four regular principles and chants 16 rounds, as is recommended, or rather, should we say mandated by Srila Prabhupada, then one becomes a, a liberated soul by dint of following. This is mentioned in the Bhagavatam. Twayam bujaksha kilasatvadani samadina veshita cheta saike twatpada potena mahatkritena kuranti govatsapadam babhavdim that if you follow the acharya system, you identify the great teachers who are reformers, who bring the apparently detailed and ritual heavy Vedas to the very essence of their teachings and present them in such a way that not only they can go back to Godhead, but that others can follow in their footsteps. These are the Acharyas. As in science, we have Copernicus and Newton, Einstein. Although there are millions and billions of scientists, these names are the names of the giants. And they present principles that are, are legacy principles. So the Acharyas are self-effulgent. They're known by their ability to convert thousands of people to Krishna consciousness and establish the process so that many, the process of religion, so that millions of people in the future can follow it. And if one can then align oneself with them, then Mahatkritena means you're following the great souls and kurvanti govatsa padam vavadin, then the process becomes easy. Process of what? Crossing over material life. So Vaidhi Bhakti begins with Adal Guru Vashrayam, take shelter of Guru to inquire, so Dharma Pritsha, and then take shelter by initiation, then follow the 64 limbs of devotional service, 
after that, there are 61 other limbs of devotional service, which include the process of going to the temple, ringing the bell, offering obeisances, seeing the deity, dancing before the deity, taking Sharnamrita. And of course, the ninefold processes of Shravanam, Kirtanam, Vishnu, Smaranam, Padasevanam, Chanam, Vandanam, Dasyam, Sakyam, Nivedanam. In the beginning, there may be some argument between the devotee who has this determination to follow and the census, which we've seen in the past, people have taken to the process of Krishna consciousness with great determination. And then a little while later or some time later have decided that maybe uh, it's imagination or maybe I'll just dabble a little bit in the material world anyway and try to have the best of both worlds. But when a devotee finds him or herself again in great strife and struggle because of touching the material energy for one reason or another, bad association, gradually straying from the path, or just being misled by and contaminated intelligence, and then suffers again. He or she then reconsiders, oh, I think I, think I better come back to Krishna consciousness. And this may even be a daily affair. Therefore, Rupa Goswami, Vishnu Chakravarti Thakur have shown us the signpost in the progressive path of devotional service. After one discerns that Krishna consciousness is a good idea, this is Shraddha. Shraddha means, hey, I think this is a good idea. What devotees are doing is good. This is the beginning of Shraddha, Prabhupada said. There's a feeling that, yeah, why didn't I think of this before? I should be with these people. That's Sadhu Sangha. The, you see people come and they, they want to, they think, this is a good idea. I think these people are smart. They're doing the right thing. And then they think, well, I'll come and spend time there. They may have not fully committed, but they're committed to hanging around with the devotees. And maybe they'll carry a box into a room, or maybe they'll pick up a broom and do some service. And then they become more convinced that they should also take the process. And this is all the unfolding of the advancing sentiments of a person who's being guided by Krishna from within and getting good association from without. So then this is called Bhajana Kriya. And one decides, yes, I'll also take some vows and follow the process. This is pretty exciting because no one knows what's going to actually happen. But there's this sense that I'm investing everything. You see people when they get initiated that there's a kind of exhilaration because it's just like you take all your assets, all your money, everything you have, house, cars, 
deeds, inheritances. You put them all in one stock. <laughs> I'm betting on this. Bet betting on one game, one one horse. <laughs> I'm putting all my money on the Krishna horse. That's it. I once I met once met a gambler. I said, "So what is it with you guys? What, what's the deal?" He said, "There's a there's a, um, a million percent difference between watching an NFL football game just for the sake of entertainment and betting on the game." He said, "When you bet on the game, then it's like." A million times more exhilarating because you've got a stake in it. So when Bhajana Kriya comes and the devotee says, I'm not watching anymore, I'm putting all my money on this horse, on the Krishna horse. I'm, I'm betting it all, I'm putting it all down. That's why when people get initiated, they're they're so exhilarated because it's a million times different than just watching, being a spectator from the outside. Now you're you're betting everything. I mean, for heaven's sake, you're betting your whole life. You're saying, I'm putting this all down here. I promise for the rest of my life, I'm going to do this. I'm going to follow four regular principles, and I'm going to chant 16 rounds. That puts a thunderbolt through the universe when somebody utters those words. And Krishna hears it. Prabhupada once said, he'll observe your life. And he'll say, oh, he, she followed the four regular principles for me. He, she chanted 16 rounds every day for me. Tried to practice the devotional arts for me. Back home, back to Godhead. It's not insignificant. Nonetheless, after one takes that vow, then there's this struggle. All the leftover residue from my connection with the material world, and it's not insignificant. In one way it is, because we have nothing to do with the material nature. But for the practitioner, it seems very significant. Why won't this go away? And one of the reasons that it doesn't go away easily it's so sticky like mango sap. If you get it in your shika, you might as well just start growing a new shika, unless you like a, a matted shika. Are you listening, Devavrata? Prabhu? Don't get mango sap in your shika. It's finished. <laughs> because if it wasn't so sticky, that is, the residue that gets on us from contacting the modes of material nature. Oh, I'll just look one more time. As Rabindra Sarup Prabhu likes to say, it's the second look that's really devastating. You look once, and then you look again. The devotees train, okay, the eyes may have looked, but that's just the eyes, that's not me. That's their natural course. I, I then reset them on the spiritual world. I don't look again, because I know better. My intelligence is fortified. Nonetheless, from within the heart, there's still that propensity. What propensity? Propensity to criticize others. Why? Because it feels like I'm competing with everybody. 
born into this world, Krishna says, everyone has this competition mode. I have to show that I'm better than everybody else. Everyone's born into this sense of duality. I have to be the center. Therefore, I have envy in my heart of other living entities. We're not therefore. The envy is there within the heart. And therefore, I, I think I'm competing with everybody. And I have, I have to drag them down in order to be in the center. Other propensities are for contact with the material nature. I want to dominate. I want to enjoy it. And it manifests in many different ways, combinations and permutations. And it seems indelible. You know, have you ever purchased a, a new cloth, especially in India? And then you accidentally threw it in the washing machine with lighter clothes. Those who do laundry can relate to this. Even if it's only slightly dyed. In other words, it may look like I didn't, I did, it's, it's not like you threw a red gumsha, brand new gumsha, that would be suicide for everybody in the whole household for years to come in the washing machine. But just lightly dyed shirt, you can barely tell it's even dyed, but you put it in there with the white things. Next day, hey, who made everything slightly pink? Oh, yeah, I forgot. I put it in there. So in the Srimad Bhagavatam, Rishabhadeh Parabhavatab Abhodhijato, he's mentioning how Everything becomes colored here in the material world by association. And even that slight pinkish color that comes by my association over many lifetimes, it's very difficult to get out. You can wash the, the, those slightly pink clothes again and again and again and again and still it's like, ah, still in there. It gives us pause and then we think, I don't want to touch anything that's not connected to Krishna. That determination starts to grow, and that's nishta. After one becomes fully convinced, I no longer want to touch these things. I don't want to go in the washing machine with that guy, because look, he's going to color me. I don't want association with the material nature anymore. Nishta. I'm totally fixed. I'm getting out of the game altogether. I've signed out. I'm not going to dabble. There's no more connection with the material world. I'm determined. And from Nishta, the practice becomes very attentive, not sloppy, always alert, awake, interested in hearing, and it starts to develop into a positive taste. And this is the safe moving to the safe side when one has a taste vishaya vinivartante nirahara sadehina rasavarjam rasopyasya haram drushva nivartate krishna said you may be restraining your senses sir but i know you're still thinking about it but when you break through to ruchi and you start to think i'd rather hear this than that 
I like it more. Then you're starting to come onto the safe side of the demarcation where now your life in your life, in our lives, we're, we're running towards the spiritual sense gratification of hearing Srimad Bhagavatam, of planning to spread Krishna consciousness all over the world rather than planning uh, my own aggrandizement or accumulation of wealth in the material world. I want Lord Chaitanya's movement to be successful. I want to accumulate all the verses in the Bhagavatam and hold them in a treasure box and look at them every day and trade them with other jewel merchants who are collecting the same kinds of jewels from the Bhagavatam and other scriptures. And from there, one has so much momentum from Ruchi, then one comes to Asakti. And Asakti is very rare. That's why it's rare to come to Prema. It's one of the six characteristics of pure devotional services. It's very rare. Why is it rare? Because not that many people come to Asakti, Asakti. And without Asakti, you can't come to Bhava. And without Bhava, you can't come to Prema. This is the one of the lines of logic that Goswami gives and Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur and Jiva Goswami describing why it's rare. Because what is Asakti? Asakti means, so we hear it translated as attachment, but it means I have no other interest at all except for Krishna consciousness. I remember in junior high school, we were all into sports and all kinds of stuff, some scholastics. There was competition. And I remember one kid, Steve Rao, when he got into junior high school, he became the most serious kid I've ever seen. He used to run to school just to make sure he got more running time in than every every other kid athlete. And he would be at the front of the front of the class and he had no other interest except excelling academically and academically and athletically. He was, you could just watch him walking from one class to the next, walking onto the athletic field, totally fixed. I always think of him, what it, what it looks like when somebody transforms into Asakti. I've got no other business or my friend, friend Dave Dibburn, when he bursts in the door one summer night at her house, he had shaved his hair off, which was sacrilege in the 1970s or late 60s. He couldn't go without long hair. And he said, that's it. I'm not messing around anymore. I'm going to learn how to play the flute. He was a flute player. He said, I've been messing around my whole life. No more. I'm going to practice all day long. <laughs> he shaved his head. So it, in any realm, coming to this mood of asakti, that I have no other business. It's very rare, but this is the position in devotional service where a person becomes completely absorbed in the practice. From which time there's an evolution to bhava and prema. But we have to start where we are and 
hear about the ultimate goal of life. And if we don't, then someone else will introduce another idea about what the goal of life is or what success looks like. And there are unlimited ideas that people have, millions and millions and millions. So Krishna says in the Bhagavad Gita, Vyavasayat vika budhir ekeha kurunandana. Bahu If you don't come to at least Nishta or Asakti, you're in danger because somebody's going to come along and say, hey, little Jiva, here's a here's a little plan for you. Let's drill down in and look at molecules the rest of our lives and try to discover something. Well, good luck, because after you do, then there'll be a, a variant stra strain and <laughs> All your research will be irrelevant. It's a not a statement to say we can't have a career in the material world, but don't drill so into it that you forget the goal of life. Otherwise, Vrindavan Priya told me once, I've been science of physics, you can drill into one tiny little section of Krishna's creation and become so absorbed in it for 20 years studying it. One little patch of earth or sky or some part of the physical nature. He said that you forget everything else and after the 20 years, you have absolutely no idea what you're looking at anyway. So in this verse, Prabhupada's directing us Here's a picture of the spiritual world. Here are what some yogis do to get there. The bhakti yogis have a clear path connected to what we heard this morning by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu giving us this opening so we could do the chanting of Hare Krishna and following a few of the basic principles of human life, we could become elevated to the highest position. And it's such a relief uh, to hear somebody unabashedly describe what God looks like, what the spiritual world is, where it is, what the material world's like, and to call it out for what it is. That it leaves us feeling exhilarated and inspired, doesn't it? Okay, we'll just take a few re reflections or questions. I'm going to look on the board and see if we want anything. So if you're going to try to Put something up, better do it quick. Reflections. Hey, Sri Madhava Mahotsava. He said, regarding the misleading civilization who seem to be using mass television commercials, movies, and news to lead humanity, is this precarious, in this precarious direction, what would take ideally for a Christian consciousness movement to change this course? Well, there's two sides to that. And Prabhupada oftentimes was, would realistically say, I mean, both sides are realistic, of course, but he would say soberingly, Manushanam sahasreshu kasyad yatati siddhai, yatatam apisiddhanam kasyan mambeti tafata. It's very rare for people to come to Krishna consciousness because oftentimes, although Prabhupada's goal was huge to spread 
Krishna consciousness all over the world, and he was determined to do so, and he practically he did it. He set the foundation on every continent of the world. He still would observe that it's a, it's a rarity for people to actually take to Krishna consciousness. So on the left side of the spectrum, there's a way in which very few people come to Krishna consciousness. Prabhupada sometimes would say, if even 1% of the population would become Krishna conscious, we'd have a success in spreading it all over the world. And his endeavor was to uh, create, a, a, as he said, Brahmins, Brahmins and Vaishnavas, who could be the head of society. So what are the ways, uh, what would it take? It always takes a person somewhere. It's, it's not so much uh, the process, but it's the people behind the process that have the influence. And so what it really takes is that we have advanced devotees on all parts of the world who are able to guide others. And a few people taking care of a few who then become qualified to take care of a few can have a systemic effect on the planet if we can get to 1% or somewhere close to that. It will have a huge impact on the world. So it's important that we, as Prabhupada said near the end, that we boil the milk and we make sure that devotees are getting trained in Christian consciousness so they actually become qualified to teach others and lead others. That's very important. And of course, it's also uh, not just a worthy, but an exhilarating kind of uh, preoccupation to distribute knowledge of Krishna consciousness in mass. And there's always two categories. When you distribute knowledge, then you have to be prepared to manage the results because people are going to come and say, okay, I, I read this. Now, what do I do? And you have to be up for the task. Just like nowadays on Bhakti Community, if, if you invite somebody, you also have to be there. <laughs> if you invite them, yeah, come on the show. And then they show up and you're not there. It's like, where is he? It's like, <laughs> Well, he couldn't come. It's like, well, why should I come? So when you preach, you're going to catch people. And then they're going to catch you. Prophet's Godbrother, B.R. Sridhar, Srila B.R. Sridhar Swami used to say that the guru catches the disciple by shiksha and the disciple catches the guru by diksha. Gotcha. You're not getting away now. So... You know, we have to, um, we have to propagate spiritual knowledge, but we also have to become at least tanishta, at least tanishta, and ruchi, asakti, in order to have a, a, a major on the world, because it's the quality of those who are teaching that will ultimately have the effect. We can't get also into this mood like. Prabhupada was the last prophet. They don't have to do anything. They just join the religion and they're fine. There's a there's plenty of those kind of things around. Where the yeah, the prophet was here a couple thousand years ago, and you know, that part's over now. All you have to do is uh, just get a rubber stamp and you're good. Rubber stampism isn't good enough. We also have to rise to the occasion and become proper representatives as well. The next question is anonymous, which is really dangerous, but I'm going to read it anyway. 
Can you illustrate how important it is to refrain from illicit sex to advance in spiritual life for men and women? Also, how important is it to maintain chastity for women and to get uh, to get and provide systematic training and education to women in this regard? Can you illustrate how important it is? Well, I suppose an illustration would be the story of Prataparudra and how the Bhagavatam describes how he was looking everywhere in the universe. No, Prataparudra, I'm not thinking Prataparudra, I'm thinking of um, Srivastava. I'm sorry? This is, sorry, sorry, Marat? Vaikundanayaka, you're on mute if you're saying something. Who no, Arjuna. Huh? Puranjan? Yes. No. So Puranjan, who represents the living entity's plight in the material nature, looks everywhere in the universe to find a suitable place to enjoy. You know, people do this. They drive around to so this neighborhood, that neighborhood, good schools here, but I don't like the neighbors. This side, I live near the ocean. I'll go in the mountains. Everyone's, every jiva, brahmanda brahmate kohan, means they're looking around, snooping around everywhere. Every animal does it. They try to find a nice little nest to live in, a nice place in the universe. Rich people buy a big house, get a bunch of property, put a fence around it. I'll be happy here. Poor people do it too. You see in the, those hovels, like when you fly into, where is it, Delhi or Bombay? There's, everyone's got their little a shack and they have their space. Everybody wants a little chip in the game here in the material world, according to what they can afford. Have a little place to get cozy, a little nest to cozy into. And so everyone wants to get cozy. And despite the fact that there's an onslaught of material miseries, I'll somehow or other, for the sake of getting cozy here, I'll find a place where I can stay permanently. And why is that? It's because of the attraction between a male and female. This is the Punsastriya Maitini Bhavami Tantoyormitu Hridaya Grantama. There's a granti, a strong knot that ties my heart to the material world because I think, yes, if I can just have this relationship, I'll be happy. So in the story, he. Puranjan looks everywhere in the universe and then sees a beautiful park. It's represented by uh, Jambudweep. And he goes there. Then he sees a beautiful woman. And then he said, next thing, I'll strike, a, strike up a conversation. And that was the beginning of his sojourn where he became entangled. She became entangled. Then they both took their next births. He took his birth as a woman. This topsy-turviness of the material world is all caused by this attraction in a material world where I think I'm going to be able to enjoy with the opposite sex. And therefore, it's extremely important. In the Varnashram system, actually, it's meant to progressively train us so that we don't become overwhelmed by this attraction. So we can gradually separate ourselves from the attraction. We can live harmoniously together, but we're not overwhelmed by it. It's not the main purpose of our life. And chastity is important in the sense that uh, if somebody 
has a woman's body, she should know through education spiritually that there's um, people are going to be enamored. And they'll also try to take advantage because that's the material nature. If you go to Venice Beach, California, where Sri Madhava Mahotsava Prabhu parades up and down every day, chanting the holy name loud enough so everyone can hear it, no matter if even they have music blasting, they'll hear him first. You'll notice that people, men and women, especially men looking at women, they just walk by and then they, they deliberately look as a way to say that I'm like claiming this as mine. They look at the material nature represented by the form of a woman and then they say, I'm going to control this. I'm powerful. I can do this. Of course, that's the beginning of their entanglement. But that's how uh, in the material nature uh, uh, it works that there's a, there's a, the, the male tries to dominate the female. And so females power is in chastity. It's uh, is staying aloof and not becoming captured by that and staying in a, a safe zone so as not to become victimized by the wolves who are untrained and unrestrained in the material nature. That's the power of chastity. So it's, a, it's, it's vital for those who want to advance spiritually to learn the process of brahmacharya or uh, advance to the position of anaprastha and then become fully fixed. Um, men and women uh, learn how to live together and then at the same time just do full service and dedicate themselves to spiritual life. And when there is sexual connection, then it has a higher purpose. You'll see in families where there is sexual connection that the, the, when the purpose is for uh, having Krishna conscious children, then there's a, there's a very uh, noticeable higher quality uh, to, the, to the relationship. We have Tirta Prabhu with hand. I can't see you though. Oh, Hare Krishna. Thank you for your Hare wonderful Krishna. presentation. Please accept my humble obeisances. Hare Krishna. Um, I have understood that devotees are not to seek Vaikuntha planets or to seek the four-handed form or to even seek the heavenly realms, but only to seek Krishna, to seek to serve Krishna and to serve the servants of Krishna. So I'm a little surprised that Srila Prabhupada gives so much attention and detail to how to progress to the Vaikuntha planets. So could you help me to understand that discrepancy or am I understanding incorrectly? Thank you. You're welcome and good to see you. I mean, I hope I say something where it's worthy of saying you're welcome. There, the, um, or worthy of your thanks. In, in a general sense, Prabhupada refers to, to the categories, material world, Vaikuntha world. Vaikuntha in a general way means without anxiety. The topmost planet in the spiritual sky, 
is called Krishna Loka. And it's for those spiritualists who have a particular kind of devotion where there's unceremonious love. It's not hindered or suppressed. Their love isn't suppressed because of, of recognizing the opulence of the Lord or recognizing the Lord as the Supreme Personality of Godhead. So there are devotees that have that predisposition to go to Vaikuntha. If you visit South India, you'll find lots of people who uh, revel in the opulence of Vaikuntha Nath and relish singing the reverent prayers of the Vedas, the Purusha Sukta, and the approach to the Lord. When I went to see Balaji once, Everyone was telling me they're going to, you have to walk in fast with the darshan and walk out really fast because they, the guards are there. They won't let you stay. So I was being dutiful. I walked in. I was just turning the corner after paying my respects to Balaji. And one of the, the guards there grabbed me by the shoulders and turned me back around to Balaji and said, see God, see God. And I was like, yeah, I'm seeing him. <laughs> and then I thought, well, that's probably long enough. And then I turned and, you know, he pulled me back again and said, see God. <laughs> so there's this sense amongst uh, many devotees, many kinds of devotees and some sampradayas where they, they're seeing God. In, in Goloka, if you tell them Krishna is God, they'll say, no, he isn't. He's our He's our friend, you know, he's my kid. What are you talking about, God? And so it's, it's a very different place. But um, Prabhupada's realistically describing the various options that the, in this purport, the various options that the living entity has. In the ultimate end, if you, as we continue reading Chaitanya Charchamrita, we'll see exactly what you're saying, and that is that for for those in the line coming from Madhavendra Puri through Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, or rather, you know, Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, who uh, introduced as a precursor through Madhavendra Puri the mood of Vipralamba Seva or, or service and separation and this kind of unceremonious love that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to teach. And on down through our line, we find that although <clears throat> All devotees have, in whatever position they're in, they they feel that this is the this is the ultimate. This is the best for me. This is revealed in the Brihat Bhagavatamrita. It's not that devotees, in in a particular relationship with Krishna, feel that oh, I've been deprived, I'm cheated, and I should have. They do have reverence even for those who are on higher levels of devotion as uh, in, in compare, compared to themselves in the, in the forms of deeper imp- intimacy that these devotees have, but they still feel uh, naturally uh, satisfied in their own relationship. And that's a fact. Living entities have all kinds of different uh, feelings for the Lord. So just to reiterate, uh, Prabhupada's not emphasizing here when he talks about living entities can travel to higher planetary systems 
that we do so. But he's indicating that there's a freedom that the soul has to go wherever he or she wants uh, to various places. In fact, you'll notice in the second canto of the Srimad Bhagavatam that Prabhupada describes when Jiva becomes liberated and leaves this world, that that Jiva then has choices. Do you want to take the scenic route out of here? Or do you just want to go straight back? He describes some, they actually want to take a look and see all the different wonders of Krishna's creation in the material world. It's like, wow, look at that. Look at this. Yeah, this is, I heard about this place and just travel through all those places and see them. And others, they don't, they don't have any interest. So it's not stereotype. And living entities can go any direction they wish. Yanti Deva Vartave Deva Pitran Yanti Pratir Vata. So higher planetary systems, you'll see that okay, the last thing I'm saying about this, and that is that Gopakumar in the Brihat Bhagavatamrita, before he went back to Goloka Vrindavan, he went to every other realm. He went to every layer within the universe in which there's a presiding de deity. And each one of those presiding deities said, yeah, well, you should stay here. And he went to Ayodhya, he saw Ramchandra, he was in Mathura, he, he was in Vaikuntha. He went every single place. And after some time there, he felt, oh, this isn't my place. And by the power of his mantra, he was impelled onward to meet Madan Gopal in the spiritual world and finally uh, meet his eternal companion who took him by the hand. Krishna took him by the hand after he embraced him in the spiritual world and said, we'll never be separated again. You just come with me. So we may have a sojourn during which we go through many different... Oh, good. Mahendra's here and he's going to comment. Please, Mahendra Prabhu, go ahead. Good to see you. Thank you. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna. And I didn't, I didn't want to interrupt you. I'm sorry. Could you finish your, your sentence? I'll never stop. You better <laughs> say something. Go ahead. No, I had a question about the purpose where Prabhupada says that uh, uh, it needs to, co to come to that stage of, of controlling the mind and intelligence and spirit. We need appropriate training and appropriate mode of life and appropriate, appropriate association. Such training depends upon sincere prayers. Uh, could you comment on that? How training is depending on sincere prayers? When we make sincere prayers, Krishna, please help me. Then he gives us the intelligence of how to follow the regulations so that we can make advancement in devotional service. He indicated, did Prabhupada in that purport also, that, that we get the strength from Krishna from, from within uh, when we uh, are sincere and then we try to follow. So it's, it's a cycle. We have to pray for the intelligence. You find in Prahlad's prayers, Gajendra's prayers, Queen Kunti's prayers, they're all asking Krishna, please give me the intelligence so that I can properly follow this and, and do as you say. Without any envy of your, of your uh, instruction, because there's a way in which I, I may... Uh, reserve some envy for the process. So, ah, eh, the heck with it. 
I'll do whatever I want. I'm independent. And so praying to remove that, the devotee's always praying, please remove the obstacles on my path. Oh, my Lord is powerful as fire, omnipotently. Please lead me on the right path to reach you. Since you know everything I've done in the past, please remove these obstacles so that, I, that there'll be no hindrance to my progress. So we have to pray to remove the obstacles so that we can follow the, the process uh, properly. Um, Prema and pray me. Hare Krishna, Guru Maharaj. Hare Krishna. So you were talking about the nectar of devotion and the other day we were reading and studying and we have a chapter uh, it talks about the ecstasy in aggressive aggressive mode and it, and we, I, we didn't like imagine if you can give some example about that ecstasies in well first of all rupa goswami's uh, task was to catalog every single human emotion and show how it relates or originates in bhakti rasa in our relationship with krishna so in a general way you can take it that whatever human emotion we see has its origin in our relationship with Krishna. And um, th that's a, a very specific um, question you're asking that I'll have to, because I, I don't want to just make some general uh, speculative answer about a, pati a particular emotion, but um, we can do a little research afterwards or Mahendra can tell us now, a, a specifically, you know, an incident in, in Krishna Leela of devotional service and aggression, but we see many different, just in general, we see many different kinds of emotions that um, like with Kubja, you know, she, she sees Krishna there in Mathura and she becomes lusty and she grabs onto his cloth. Like, don't go anywhere. You know, like <laughs> I just, you know, like that's a, that's, uh, I'm not saying that relates exactly to this point of aggression because it's a technical term, but I'm saying that every human kind of emotion and interaction is cataloged by Rupa Goswami to show that it all originates. Here is the reflection that we have in the material world. There is the reality, the way in which uh, we, really, we relate with Krishna and, has, and it covers the, all the spectrum of human emotions and activities. Mahendra's got it already. Go ahead, Mahendra. No, I just wanted to look in the nectar of devotion. Probably it needs okay. to, it needs, we need to find it in Bhakti Rasamrata Sindhu. Exactly. That's what I meant. There's some very specific point and a terminology that goes with it. So we'll get back to you right afterwards. If Mahendra Prabhu would do the research and let us know. Jayam Vishupat Param Hamsatri Rajika Chajashtotaras Vishishimara Pai Charanar in the Bhaktivedanta Sai Maharaj Prabhupada Jai. Jayam Vishpat Param Hamsatri Rajika Chajashtotaras Vishishimat Shila Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Gosai Mahashti Jai. Nantakoti Vaishnaviti Jai. Nama Chaya Shila Haridasta Koti Jai. Prames Gaho Shri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda 
Sri Advaita Gadadhara, Shiva Sari Gaura Bhakta Vrindhi Jai, Shri Shri Radha Krishna Gukupina, Shama Kundarada Kundagiri Govardhan Ki Jai, Shri Vandavandam Ki Jai, Shri Mayapurna Vadipkan Ki Jai, Tulsi Devi Bhakti Devi Ki Jai, Jamuna Devi Gaunga Devi Ki Jai, Sambeda Bhakta Vrindhi Ki Jai, all glories to some of the devotees. All glories to some of the devotees. All glories to some of the devotees. Nachari Armarman. Nachari Armarman. Nachari Armarman. Nachari Armarman. Hey, Nachari Armarman. Nachari Armarman. Nachari Armarman. Nachari Armarman.